the biggest challenge is to actually understand what is it that you want. You might want something, but you don't know it yet, or you don't know how to get there. That's the biggest thing. Welcome to Keep Taking Ground, the saxophone podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Ryan, and today's guest is an award-winning Cuban-born saxophonist that has both Juno Awards and Grammy nominations to his name. He's the winner of the Grand Prix de Jazz General Motors 2006 at the Montreal Jazz Festival performing with David Borelis Quintet, and he was also named the Galaxy Rising Star 2010 at the Halifax Jazz Festival performing with Rich Brown and Rinse the Algorithm. He's performed and recorded with names like Mark Turner, Tony Allen, Hilario Duran, Paquito de Rivera, Horacio El Negro Hernandez, Daphne Spirito, Canada's Global Orchestra Kuhn, Barry Harris, and Randy Brecker, amongst others. He's also someone that I had the pleasure of studying with in the last year of my undergraduate program. Mr. Louis Dennis, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you, brother. Thank you so much, Jesse. I'm, uh, I'm very honored to, uh, to be your guest on this podcast. And yeah, I'm excited too, because even though I had the pleasure of studying with you, I feel like if there's so much more that we could um, dive into today, especially for the audience, just kind of learn about you and just talk about your journey. You know, the, the purpose of this podcast is to help uh, both the professional and aspiring professional saxophonists to uh, be inspired and be empowered to keep taking ground um, in their personal uh, and professional journey. So let's begin by talking about your journey. How did you begin playing the saxophone? Absolutely. Uh, well, um, I do not come from a, a, a family of musicians. There, okay. there are no musicians. Uh, I, I mean, by profession, uh, in, uh, in the places uh, like, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of countries that we come from, mm-hmm. music is very much a part of everybody's life. Yeah. You know, all over the Caribbean, uh, a lot of places in South America. So, you know, everyone in my family was a music lover, uh, but no one was a musician by trade. Okay. Um, I've, you know, I've, and when I was a kid, I've, I've done, you know, things like being in playwrights and, and, you know, like do poetry and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I guess, I guess my mom noticed that I had some sort of an inclination for the arts. Right. So, uh, you know. Uh, so I went and auditioned for the uh, uh, Vocational School of Arts in the town that I was born in, in mm-hmm. Kahawai. And uh, I got in and they said, well, uh, what instrument would you want to play? And I actually said, well, my mom likes the saxophone, so I, I, I guess I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was my beginning with the saxophone. And, uh, you know, uh, in Cuba, I, I believe up until today, it's all uh, the what people call classical mm-hmm. school, which refers to, you know, 20th century music composed by the French. Like they mm-hmm. were the ones who really developed that school. Yeah. I, I think really today in the world, there's only two major saxophone schools established. You know, right. there's a French school and the American one. Everything else is just, you know, um, some sort of a, 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 a branch from, from those two schools. Right. So, I did that for nine years, and uh, you know, it's uh, it, it was very rigorous. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but also very rewarding because it's it's uh, you know you you're expected to play the instrument at a very high level. Yeah. Uh, and it, it it taught me a lot of what I still do today. You know, and so it was it was very important for me uh, to to be a part of that type of education, if you will. And um, around around the time I was, you know, maybe thirteen, I I got this jazz bug. And of course, okay. there's no real jazz school in Cuba, which I now see as a good thing. Mm. Uh, you know, so so then I did what everybody else has done in Cuba, which is uh, you find recordings right. and, uh, and you transcribe and you learn repertoire and you play with friends. Uh, by the time I was doing this, I was very lucky to have two people uh, that were about 10 years older than me. Uh, two guys that are, you know, some of the uh, most well-established Cuban saxophones in the world right now. One of them is Roman Filiu, which is a, a, a New York, Madrid uh, alto saxophone, mm-hmm. uh, was very well known, I think, at this point. And the other one is Irby Nakao, who's based in, in, in Paris. Yep. These guys were, uh, you know, the generation that was playing with, with Chucho Valdez and mm. when I was, you know, around 15 and, and, I, and, they were, and they were coming back with a lot of music. So, you know, uh, it, it was a very important time to be in Cuba because they were, they were coming back and they were introducing us. And, and of course, they lived in very small apartments, so they needed to come to school to hang out and stuff. At that mm. point, uh, you know, uh, Irvin is from Camaway and Roman had done his school uh, in Camaway. It's also kind of funny because Camaway uh, in Cuba is sort of recognized as the saxophone school. It's oh, like, really? It's, it's, there is a vibe there, uh, and uh, there were certain teachers that uh, that created that school. One of them is in Mexico, and he's actually created a, the saxophone school in Mexico, Roberto Benitez. Okay. And so, so a lot of people from all over Cuba actually studied in Camaway. You know, wow. and that was for Roman, for example, and of course, Ibim was from Camaway. Mm-hmm. So they would come back, you know. Then later on, I, I moved to Havana to attend the National School of Art. Yeah. And then that's really when I spent the most time with them, you know, okay. because every time they were in touring, they were at school. And we spent all day long playing, you know. And these were the wow. people that introduced me to a lot of the music that we all listened to, you know. Through them, uh, we have people like Steve Coleman, for example, who was uh, someone uh, that was, uh, I would say, an extremely important person in, in the people of my generation. Okay. Because when we were 17, we were all really into, you know, like Kenny Garrett and Brian Vermesalis and, and all these people. And he was the first one who came and said, well, that's, that's all well and good, but you guys need to check out Bert. Mm. You need to check out Charlie Parker, and you need to know about Bob Powell, and you need to know about Dizzy Gillespie. Yeah, you know, yeah. you need to understand this music so that you can understand all these people that you like. You know, and that, that there is something about uh, uh, at that age having someone that you admire that much yeah. say that yeah. to you, and it really actually changed everything for me. At that point, I just went into this crazy Charlie Parker thing that I haven't been able to 
leave. You know, I'm still <laughs> in. But, yeah. but you know, I it was crucial for me to try to understand the language and to try yeah. to play it with without sounding exactly like Charlie Parker. So, right. and and as I started checking out uh, more more of bebop. Uh, the one thing I noticed that I don't think has happened in any other part of jazz is like, you know, Charlie Parker led me to Dizzy and then that led me to Jazz and Massey Hall. And, and then I discovered, uh, you know, Bob Powell. But then that led me to Monk. And, and of course, to Bird, that led me to Sonny Rollins. And right. the one thing I, I noticed about the bebop players is that bebop, it's a language. Right. They, they all speak the same language with different variations, but they're mm-hmm. all talking about the same thing, yeah. you know? So it became crucial for me to try to understand the language and to actually come up with my own, uh, you know, my own topic of conversation. Right, not, right. Not to just take the Yoni book and learn everything that Charlie Parker did and just try to sound verbatim like him, you know? I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to sound like someone who understands and can play bebop, you know? Uh, so so, that, so that's been the, the, to be honest, that, that has been the source of, uh, of, of everything I've done up until now. That's, that's so interesting. And it's, it's something that I've heard you mention before, and I'm, I'm happy we're getting the chance to go a little bit deeper today. Um, so, What have you been in pursuit of since then? What what has created? Uh, let's de- let's kind of define what your ground is. What have you in pursuit of, and what are some of the things you value as a saxophone player? Well, as a saxophone player, I mean, you know, I I've been trying to uh, reconcile like where I come from and the experiences that I've had. Uh, to where I want to take music, you know, and and it's 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 interesting because as, as you as you get older, you think yeah. about all this, you know, and um, you know, coming from a place like Cuba that has a deep, rich cultural background yeah. in, in all aspects, you know, because it's not it's not only music. Uh, there's just so much culture, uh, you know, combined with with a, a like a European type of, uh, of studying, you know, in the way of, of uh, like the stuff that we have to do with saxophone, and it was very very rigorous. Uh, trying to reconcile all of these things, yeah, uh, and, and I guess you know, all of that trying to make my playing uh, more human. Mm. At, at the end of the day, that's really really what what, what matters. I mean, music. Jazz, any kind of form, it's 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 all it's all about the human condition. So I'm I'm trying to uh, to bring in as much humanity as possible. This is why uh, you know I, I I talk about a lot of like the, the technical stuff and all that because mm-hmm. it's important so that you're not so that your brain it's not uh, you know thinking about it when you're trying to create music. Right. But, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, I when I practice, uh, I separate things because to me, playing, and I heard Brad from Masala talking about this and I could yeah. not be in agreement with him. 
you know, there, there there's a difference between playing an instrument and playing music. Right. It's two two Both separate spheres that two separate things. But they overlap. Know? They overlap. Right. But when I yeah. go to play, I don't I don't care what happens. It mm. it can be as raw as as anything. I'm not looking for perfect. I don't mm. care about perfect. You know, I'm looking for humanity. Mm. I want I want people to hear what I'm playing and say, "Wow, this guy was really sad." You know, wow, or, wow, this guy was really, uh, uh, you know, happy. And and hopefully, yeah. with whatever kind of music I play in yeah. whatever band, yeah. transfer that to the person who's listening to the music. I feel you like know? if that's that's also a, a big part of what identifying birds playing when he was yeah. there's. I think the overarching emotion that I feel when I listen to Bird is joy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but, but also there are some recordings um, when he's playing a ballad or, or something where you can also feel the sadness in it, depending on, right. on the music. He was so intentional about being emotive um, with, with, with his playing. So it's interesting that, you know, that's something that you've come to value um, or something that you continue um, working towards, but it's also coming from one of your biggest influences too, you know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, and I really, I really don't want to control anything. You wow. know, I, I want to play music as vulnerable as I possibly can. Because only then, in my opinion, that's, that's really when the magic happens. I mean, that's, you know? that's, that's such... Uh, a potent idea and I think it's also a very liberating one um, for I mean a- anybody really but the aspiring saxophonist to, to kind of grasp that idea but why I think it's also so potent is because you're also pairing that or balancing it with the idea of the two spheres that you know you have to learn how to play your instrument first um, right. And get that out of the way. And I'd like to come back to that in um, in a bit. But yep. I want to to go a little bit deeper with the idea of uh, being vulnerable and making sure that the music that you play is expressing your own humanity or or, or addressing um, the human condition. That versus uh, the word you used, Jason, was playing in a in a controlled way or playing controlled. Um, so it's controlled versus vulnerable. Can you talk about that, what that means for you a little bit more and how you go about doing that? Well, I, you know, I mean, music and especially jazz, it's very social. Mm. So when, so when you're playing with another four, five, six, whatever amount of people in a band, I don't, I don't, I I mean, I want to sound like myself, but yeah. I don't want to come with any preconceived ideas of what I'm going to do. To me, to me, that's not what this music is about. Right. You know, there, uh, you know, there's just something beautiful about just being that vulnerable and let things happen. And also, I, I really, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I've been checking out, I've been going back to the Miles Davis Quintet, like okay. the band from the city with Herbie and Tony and Ron and, and Wayne. And to me, that's how I want to play music. Not, not exactly how they play it, but that idea. Right. Which is, 
what, what Wayne showed up with Ted. It's just complete camaraderie. Mm. There's no one guy just, you know, flashing on the front of the stage and three other guys following him. No, it's four brothers making music. To me, this is an attitude, you know? Right. And it's an attitude that speaks to me because it's, it's inclusive and brings out the idea of community, not mm -hmm. listen to me what I have to say. Yeah. You know, you know I, I don't want to play music like that. I want to play music the other way. Now, what, what do you say to someone who may not be at that level? How do you begin that journey of, 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 of working towards that ideal? Well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's key to listen to those people. Okay. You know, anything in, in the world of music, I think anything you want to achieve, this is something that people tend to get confused about. Mm -hmm. and they think that, uh, you know, there are certain holy grails to be found. Mm. And, and it, it's all very simple. Okay. The whole thing is very simple. Like, you, you want to have a good tone on the saxophone. You want to develop your own tone. You got to go and listen to people that have great tone. Okay. And, and for that tone to be truly unique, you have to listen to more than one guy. I would right. recommend that, you yeah. know, because, because then, uh, the, the sum of, of different concepts are going to make you come up with your own concepts. Right. But it's the same right. thing. You know, it's, I think really the biggest challenge is to actually understand what is it that you want? You might want something, but you don't know it yet, or you don't know how to get there. That's the biggest thing. Once, once the idea becomes clear in front of your uh -huh. eyes, you can actually find the path to get there. Yeah. You know? And and it doesn't matter who you are, where in the world you are, how long have you been playing? You know, I'm I'm thinking about things, in in you know. Like my eyes are being open every single day about things that I that I want to do with music, what music means to me, uh, what I don't want it to mean to me. You know, like there are so many things. So I think the the most important thing is to to know in which direction you're headed. And in my experience, the the ideal way of finding your direction is to talk to a lot of people. Okay. You know, to, to, to try to, you know, people say don't never meet your heroes. I don't, I don't, you <laughs> know, I don't agree with that because even even the bad experiences teach you something. Absolutely, but absolutely. You know, in my case, I never went to jazz school, and and you know, not coming from a from a, a from a North American kind of, of way of living. Uh, and trying to play jazz, I always felt like I was missing something, mm. you know. But when I got out of Cuba and I moved to Canada, uh, you know, I think I think within within like three months of living in Toronto, Brian from the South Quartet came to play at what the Jazz Bistro is today, which mm -hmm. used to be the same, in sir. Canada. Yeah. Right. So and and I was like I I was like a kid in a candy store because I grew up with that band. Right. For whatever reason. Uh, you know, when I was coming up, that band was something that all all my friends, everybody was listening to. And in fact, I think the very first jazz record I had was Branford Marsalis Trio, The Dark Keys, okay. which I had to put away because I, I, I was nowhere near prepared for that. Right, you know, right. <laughs> that, 
it's basically, you know, uh, a, like a Sonny Rollins trio situation with like trained stands together, you right. know. And and then of course you got like you know there there's a uh, there's a couple of uh, tracks where Joe Lovano plays and Kenny Garrett plays, you know. So then you got this voices joining uh-huh. this already established sound, and you know. So so I. I you know, I, that record, for example, I had to put it away and come back later. But uh, when I when I got to see that band, yeah, that was, that was just. And this is another thing that it's very it's become very important to me. You know, it's I understand because of work situations and and also because in jazz it is important to play with as many people as possible. Right. But often I look at like bands in New York. And, and things like that. And, and I see a lot of like all-star groups, you know, greatest drummer with the greatest saxophone player, with the yeah. greatest piano player, the greatest bass player, you know. I, I really dig the concept of the band. And that takes me back to the Miles Davis Quintet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Coulter's yeah. Quartet, you know. Branford Marsalis Quartet, you know. Mm-hmm. The new Wayne Shorter Quartet, which is not new, it's 20 years old now, you know. Right. But, uh, uh, like there is, there is something about the music that a band can make that four all-star guys cannot. Ju- they, they just, they just don't get there. Wow. And this is just my opinion, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is really what's important for me. I mean, individually, maybe on the all-star band, you might like these mm-hmm. players individually yeah. more than the guys that I'm mentioning. But, but what these people can achieve as a group, that's really what I want to do. Okay. You know, and it, it's difficult because it requires a lot of uh, external help. If you want to have a working band, you got to, especially in Canada, it's even more difficult, you know, to try to constantly play and constantly yeah. tour to keep developing that sound, right? But, uh, but to me, this is really what's important. Wow, yeah. yeah. I'd like us to chat about the idea of playing the saxophone and playing music as being two separate spheres because I'm getting the sense that, you know, if you can't master or at least play the instrument well, attaining this, all these extra goals in the music is not going to be even possible at all in any way. And this is something that, you know, coming from Cuba, uh, after I moved to Canada and, you know, started teaching at places like Humber College, mm-hmm. uh, I saw I saw that right away. And I was, you know, I mean, they have a, they have a curriculum they need to push. And, and I understand that, but, you know, it, it was very difficult for me because I was, I was being asked, uh, or not, not necessarily because, I mean, no one was telling me what to do, right. but, you know, I'm I'm seeing what the priorities as a, as an institution are, mm-hmm. and I'm going like having this guy try to play 26 two. It's like asking the same guy right now to get into a UFC ring with a world champion. He's gonna <laughs> die. You know, this guy is just not prepared. Mm-hmm. So, and especially like for example, the biggest thing about this specific topic is that in Cuba, you can be from any part of Cuba. 
because the system is unified. Okay. It doesn't matter where you went to school in Cuba. If later you're going to uh, audition for the National School of Arts, you've done exactly the same thing as the guy from Havana, and you leave 500K from that guy. You right. went to exactly the same school. You played from the same book. You did everything. So, so you know, right then and there, it is expected that you are at the same level. Right. So you know? there's there's sort of a, um, a foundation that everybody kind of goes through so that now the focus is taking those fundamental skills and doing whatever you want to do with it at the next level. You don't, you don't do that. You don't go through that. You, you can, you can uh, uh, audition. Right. You would not have to go through those channels yeah. in order to be able to get into the national school. But for example, in Canada, you get people uh, who come from a family of musicians. So maybe this person was already playing an instrument. Maybe they started with piano, and then right. maybe the dad is a saxophone player or, or something. And then they come to school and they got a lot of things working already, you know, as opposed to someone who discovered that they like music and maybe they play the saxophone in, in like school at a band, right. you know, but, but there's, there's nothing behind that uh, uh, to, to, to just any, any more knowledge other than that. Right. And there, and, now these two people are meeting in the same year at the same school. Yeah. And they're being asked to achieve the same thing musically. Right. You know? Right. So so I I find like like specifically in North America, it is imperative that that changes. You wow. know? I I I think you, you I mean before before I bring up any kind of conversation to any student, I need to know where they are technically. Because the conversation will change drastically right. depending <laughs> on what this person is. Yeah. Because you know? I I got up, I'll give you my own anecdote. The first time I decided to transcribe Charlie Parker, I went for a confirmation. And I was 17 years old. Okay. I started playing the saxophone when I was 10. So I had a good six, seven years yeah. of intense saxophone studying yeah. just just the mechanics of the instrument mm-hmm. the sound you know technique all that i put that thing on and i i, I mean i i'm blessed with the uh, perfect pitch mm-hmm. which i found out later so yeah. i could hear i couldn't play anything <laughs> and i was i was just there and going like i i don't understand you know so it took hours i think maybe three or four hours before I started being able to play some of the things wow. and like slowly try to get this thing, you know. So, so from from my perspective, I didn't have any holes with what when it comes to technique and, mm-hmm. and like understanding how to play the saxophone. And I was struggling that much trying to play something that Charlie Parker played, you know. So I feel for anyone who, do, who doesn't have. Uh, enough understanding of the instrument, right? And and then try to tackle this thing. Mm-hmm. Now, we we need to talk about the fact that in any aspect of the of the world, and yeah. any that you think about, there are people who are naturally, you know, right? Exactly. Like, oh, Everybody comes with it. Ad- you know, yeah. It's it's just like that. There are people yeah. like that, but yeah. that that shouldn't set the example. Definitely. You know, you know, I remember having a conversation with somebody about this, 
Um, and it was along the lines of, I feel as though a lot of times as musicians, as saxophone players, we approach music um, as an art only and forget that it's also a science. And I would, I'm not, not literally, but in terms of the systematic approach um, to developing what you need to then be able to express yourself um, in the yeah. ways that, that, that you need to. And um, it, when, the way how you put it, because we started talking about, you know, the idea of humanity in, in music, um, but then there's also this other half of making sure that you can play the instrument and the, the attitude and approach in those two spheres seems to be slightly different. Um, and it's reminding me um, of a, a quote, I think, which is from Miles Davis, which is like, uh, practice sober and, or, and play drunk or some, something like that. You know, mm-hmm. the idea yeah. of like being really systematic and making sure you understand um, your instrument and just have all of that handled. And then when you get to the bandstand, you can focus on creating something with your bandmates and being expressive right. and bringing in the human element um, to what you're doing. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we're having this conversation in, you know, this is a conversation in between two people who are professionals because you, you're a great saxophone player and a composer in your own right. Uh, I wouldn't be having this conversation with someone who just started uh, first year at university or, or Humber College, you know? They don't need to hear this yet. Okay. They need to hear that, you know, your fingers need to be in the right position. And I mean, you know, I have been proven that my way is not the only way. And again, right. I'll say it again, not trying to create a church. Right. <laughs> but my way works for me and it yeah. works for a lot of other people. It and works for me. Unsure, it works for me. If you're unsure about <laughs> what to follow, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting because with all the instruments, you know, for bass players, like acoustic bass players, this is very clear. For piano players, this is yeah. very clear. Like, you know, like piano players have no problem uh, understanding that they need to play like classical, you know, whatever, what Western European music, if yeah. you want to call it. Yeah. You don't want to use the term classic, you know. Uh, but with saxophone, I think it might have to do with the fact that the tone changes drastically. Right. And, you know, ambrosia and stuff like yeah. that is yeah, so yeah. different that the jazz guys tend to not pay that much attention with that. And there, there, there seems to be a consensus where there, there's a way to practice technique with all these approaches to jazz school and doing all these diatonic things and doing mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm, I mean, you know, sure, there's a lot of people that play uh, a whole lot of saxophone, and that's fine. I, for me, it's, it's, it's worked out better that I, I play the saxophone like a saxophone and I work on it like an instrument. Right. And then once I'm doing what I need to do, uh-huh. then I move, I move on to try to create music with it. Yeah. It, it doesn't work for me to try to make the two. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I need to get the saxophone sounding and, and doing the things that I needed to do. Yeah. And then I can think about making music. And my approach, I'm, I'm not alone in it, you know? There's a there's a very famous now uh, interview of Charlie Parker with Paul Desmond uh-huh. on YouTube. It's, yep, it's available absolutely. to anybody. 
you know, where he clearly tells, like Paul's treating him like God, and just clearly <laughs> tells Paul, well, you know, I I practice what what was it, thirteen to sixteen hours every day for a period of five years. Wow. And that was just a saxophone. And and you know, maybe if you don't come from playing classical saxophone, you might not understand this. But that was the first thing I got when I started listening to Bert. It's like here's someone who who can play the saxophone. Yeah. Like this guy has a complete understanding of the instrument. No questions asked. Right. You know. So I mean, if you're if you're unsure about what path to follow, that's a pretty good one. It works right. for, for a lot of people. Stay tuned for part two of this conversation on next week's episode. It's really been a pleasure. Uh, talking with you about your own journey and about those ideas of, you know, music being, uh, music and playing the saxophone being separate spheres, but how they overlap. And um, I really love the idea of just making sure that you're addressing the human condition through through your music. Uh, before we wrap up t- t- today, I have a rapid fire question game that I would like us to play called three, two, one. Um, so I'd like you to share three albums that have been influential, two saxophone players that have been influential for you, and leave our audience with one piece of advice. Three, three records that were uh, influential to me. Yeah. I mean, three, it's, it's too little. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, off the top of my head that I could think of, uh, you know, Charlie Parker with Strings, mm-hmm. yeah. John Coulter and A Lot Supreme. Mm-hmm. And Miles Davis, Miles Smile. Wow. Okay. You know, I mean, th- those are three. I'm, I'm trying to think uh, things that are very different from one another. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So. Cool. And what, who were two saxophone players that were really influential for you? Uh, I mean, again, the list will need to be a lot longer. But I, I would say... The, mo- the most important ones would be Charlie Parker and John Coulter. Okay, cool. Yeah. And what's one piece of advice you want to leave with the audience? Um, to always, always follow your natural instinct. Wow. You're going to have people, in, you know, in, in whatever it is that you do, especially if you happen to be a creative person, mm-hmm. you're going to have all kinds of people trying to diminish what you do, trying to talk you out of it, you know, don't listen to them. Just continue on your journey and, and you'll, you'll find yourself. Just, well, you know, believe in yourself. Keep going. If it, if it speaks to you, if you, if you feel in your gut, just, just go for it. Man. Whew. I'm accepting that piece of advice right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure to sit down with you and, Thank and, you too, Thank you. and chat again. Um, if you're listening and you want to connect with Luis, um, you can go check his website. What's your website again, Luis? Uh, it's music.com. Amazing. Uh, he's also on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. What's your handle yep. on Instagram? Uh, music. Amazing. So across all platforms, Lewis Dennis Music. Uh, thank you again, Lewis. Um, if you're listening, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the, of the podcast. And I hope that this conversation was both inspirational 
and empowers you to keep taking ground in your personal and professional and also creative journeys as a saxophone player. I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care. Thanks, Josie. Thank you, Luis. Thank you.